bad. Not the sound guys, bad. <laughs> All right, so um, uh, we are in the series on biblical manhood and womanhood. Uh, it's a th- small three-week series, and then after this, we are going to, sorry, this clip. All right, well, I guess we'll go without it. Okay, there we go. We're in the series, Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, okay? And um, we started last week kind of laying a foundation for what it means to be a biblical man and being a biblical lady. And what we did was we said, what does Jesus have to say about biblical manhood and womanhood? And we look at what Jesus says. Jesus says, let's go back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and Genesis 3 to see what biblical manhood and womanhood looked like when God created it, when God originally created Adam and Eve, what, how did he create man? How did he create woman? How did he create them to live together? Well, how, what roles did he create them to, uh, to carry out? And we said, excuse me, we said that we, it's not what our culture that defines what a man is. It's not cultural stereotypes. It's not cultural conditioning. But instead, it is what does God's word have to say to us about being a man and about being a woman. And before we get going, what I want you to do, I want you to notice, or you'll probably notice today, that we're not going to open too many texts today. And part of that, because I want you to see last week and this week is kind of a continuation of Sermon 1, if you will. So Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3 is our our background. It's our foundation for for where we're getting this information from. Um, So just in case it feels a little awkward, a little different than typical, that's why. So... In this series and on biblical manhood, and um, I talked about already how our culture is confused. Um, I mean, this confusion in our culture leads to confusion in the workplace. Like, how do we, as men and women, relate to each other in the workplace, at work, uh, in the marketplace, at home, in the church? You know, and I want you to understand that we live in a in a time where there's been great gains for ladies. There's been great gains for women. You know, uh, the freedom that that women have in our culture anyways, uh, has, is probably better than, than most cultures of, of all time. Um, I mean, I'm sure you can find a, a select group here or there where it's, where it's quite different. But when, in a male-dominating society, this, our culture, it's, it, it's a good time, I think, in, in general speaking, to, to be a lady. Because um, oftentimes, in most cultures, it's typically the women that suffer from the male domination. I mean, that's typically the way it goes. And, but we live in a culture that treats women so much better than most cultures in history. At the same time, though, it's interesting because history can kind of swing a pendulum, right? Can kind of swing a pendulum. And right now, I think the pendulum is, is all the way on the other side, at least in, in American culture, that says there is no differences between men and women. Um, and it's interesting because in, in, in cultures, as cultures correct themselves, uh, obviously, this is by God's grace, but as correction happens, oftentimes other errors tend to come up. And so as our culture has corrected, some, again, by God's grace, has corrected this idea and this treatment of ladies and females, it's kind of gone to the extreme where now our culture says, says that there is no difference between men and women. And I think they even go beyond that and are encouraging men to act more like women and encouraging women to act more like men. Um, and, and we see that. I mean, we see that all around. It's just very subtle, though. 
I mean, not typically does anyone get on TV and say, hey, all you women need to start acting like men. I mean, like, we don't, I mean, I mean maybe someone's stupid enough to say it, but like, typically it's like more subtle stuff. Uh, why don't you act more like a man? Why don't you get in touch with your feminine side? You know, that's what men are told. Get in touch with your feminine side. Um, but like I said, in the midst of this confusion, we have to go back to Genesis. What does God say about Genesis? How, and, and we saw it last week that men and women are equal according to God's word, but men and women have different roles. That they're made differently. Like we're made distinctly men and distinctly women. And we saw that God has called the man to be the primary leader in the household. Doesn't mean he calls all the shots. It doesn't mean he rules like a dictator. But God has designed him to be the primary leader in the relationship. And then you see this, this portrayed in the Old Testament and New Testament. And then we see this climax, I believe, with the person of Christ. And Christ being the manliest man who ever walked the planet. And we see that in Christ. But you know what's interesting? It's typically when in our culture when we think of manhood, the image is not Jesus. I mean, think, I mean, think about this for a moment. When you think of a man, what is the first picture that comes to mind? All right? Uh, if you're a little bit older, maybe Arnold Schwarzenegger. Or not Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm sorry, Hulk Hogan. That's who I meant to say. Hulk Hogan. Roar, you know, like he ripped his shirt. Like that's, that's a man. Um, Today, I don't know what the picture, you would think of maybe Homer Simpson uh, or something like that when you think of a man. Uh, but the person we don't think of, like we don't typically think of Christ. Like, well, and what's the picture? Is it, and I, yes, I'm going to poke fun here for just a second, but our typical paintings of Christ is some wimpy, thin, weak, frail-looking, Steve Jobs-looking dude with longer hair. Like, that's who we think of when we think of, like, the picture of Jesus. I, I, dude, I've got some of those pictures, you know. Uh, my grandpa gave me one of them, and I just kind of keep it off to the side, you know. And uh, he, he, I think he has seen it, like, in the bottom of the shelf, you know, the picture of Jesus. And he's got that, that real beautiful flowing hair, you know, kind of like a men's hair commercial. Like, just beautiful. And, and that's Jesus. That's, that's the picture we have of Jesus you know, we're typically told that Jesus never drank, he never used sarcasm, he never confronted anyone, he never got angry or frustrated. Yet in the gospel, the record clearly shows that Jesus did all of these things and yet never apologized or confessed for sin on any of those things that he did. You see, a manly man is a godly man. A manly man is a godly man. You know, men followed Jesus. I mean, men followed Jesus. Um, why? I mean, obviously, it's because God is sovereign and all that. Yes, but part of it's because because Jesus was a man. I mean, these fishermen, like if the dude that we see in the pictures walked up to these fishermen and said, "Hey, why don't you come follow me? You know, we'll go this way." Like, do you think that they would have followed him? No, <laughs> I wouldn't have. I've been like, yeah, awesome. Now I keep catching my fish, you know. <laughs> Jesus was a manly man. And in our culture, we live in a culture just, we don't see what men, you know. Jesus, Jesus wasn't some, like, sissy, motivational speaker who smiled all the time. Like, he, he, he talked about the hard things. He lived the hard life with them. Like, 
And, and that's not even talking about the times of persecution there towards the end. But they followed him. He was a, he was a manly man. And, but that's not, the often, that's not often the way we portray Jesus in the church. In the church, this is what we should expect. We should expect masculine, God-loving men leading God-loving homes and leading a God-loving church. But you know, the question we ask often in church today is where are all the men? Where, where are all the men? And even in this church, like we can look around right now and we have a large group of men. And, and I think we have a very unique thing going on in this church when it comes to men. And I thank God almost every day for that. But we still have lots to grow as well. But the general question, and the question we need to continue asking that in this church is, where are the men? Even if the men seemingly are doing what they should be doing, we still need to ask the question, where are the men? What are they doing? What's going on? But our culture today, we tend to ask the question, in the church, where are all the men? And I think the best answer to that is that most churches have asked them to become women. I think most churches have asked the men to become women. I mean, it's obvious. Lots of men avoid church. I mean, just look around. We see men avoid. Statistics say that church is made up of 60% women and 40% men. And here's the interesting correlation. That as the scriptures are devalued in a church, the percentage of women goes up and the percentage of men goes down. Statistics. But just the opposite is true. As the scripture is valued and as that goes up, the percentage of men goes up in the church. It's a healthier balance. Um, So why are there not men in the church? You know, I've thought about this in churches that I've grown up in. God has blessed me with kind of a wide range, I think, of different churches and how they looked as growing up. But I mean, churches are typically made up of women, children, and the soft men that feel comfortable there. And that's, that's, what we, that's what I saw growing up. The children, the women, and the soft men around them. And the apex of manhood in the church is often the nice guy. Like, think about growing up in the church. The, the manhood is the nice guy. The, it's, it's the old guys that are always smiling and always doing great. Yes, it's a great day. Yes. No matter what's happened. You know, tornado disrupted, it's, it's, we are doing great. Like that's the apex of manhood. And this is, this is what we see happening. So what do we do? Of course, we go to God's word. And God calls us to something different and provides us with direction in the scriptures. This is not something, men, that we're left to figure out, okay? Like there, there's clear example. There's clear direction for us as men. And guys, the solution for us men, our problem is not we need to get in touch with our feminine side. So ladies, stop telling us to get in touch with our feminine side, all right? We don't need any help with that, okay? But instead, guys, men, we don't have a feminine side to get in touch with. Guys, men, our problem is to embrace our masculinity. That's our problem. We struggle to embrace masculinity and, and manhood as God has set forth in the scripture. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Now besides sports and the military, where are we encouraged as men to be strong? 
to stand firm. We're, we're, no, like it's sports and, uh, and the military. Like this is where we think of being strong. It's where the men go and, and the rest of us are just boys. Like that's not manhood. But Paul says to be firm, stand strong, act like men. And in 1 Corinthians, we see Paul as a man writing to this church. And so we have a distinctive way of acting like men. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to look at four aspects of manhood. So by the nature of this topic, again, that's why I said we kind of bounced around between Genesis 1, 2, and 3. We're going to look at a number of other verses today. This is a little more topical. Um, and so I just want to make sure you guys understand that up front. But four aspects of manhood. These are not four different types of men. These are four different layers of manhood, if you will. So this is not, well, that's not my personality, so that must be for a different man. No, 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 no. These are four different, and there are many other aspects of men as well, but these are kind of four broad, big categories when it comes to men. And we see that that this masculinity was created by God and shattered by sin. And then, of course, we see it restored by Christ. So with that said, let's jump right in. First of all, first aspect of men, we, men were created to be pioneers. Not a term we hear too much today. Men are created to be pioneers. Let me give you some synonyms. Leadership. Proactive initiative, like to take the initiative, to be proactive, to exercise leadership. Men are created to be pioneers. Genesis 2.24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Men become independent. Men to become independent. Not independent from God, obviously. It's different. Men... One of our big struggles is going to be to become independent, you know, particularly for young men from mom and dad, because we've so dependent on them. And then our struggle is going to be to be dependent on Christ. But men are independent. Leaving his parents, we live in a culture today. And this is, I know like most of us are beyond or at least growing out of this right now. But like for our kids and for other people as, as they have adult or young adults still living at home, we need to help. We need to know this to help them. Uh, and that is like we just live in a culture of like adolescence. Like I don't even know when the age ends anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like is it, is it 27? You know, 20, 28? I mean, still living at home, still mooching off mom and dad. Like uh, now if you're going to college, if you're getting on your feet, you know, uh, you know, have you ever watched the movie Failure to Launch? All right, like, point taken, okay? All right. Now, again, we're, we're in school. There's, there's a different stories, all right? I know some of us are chuckling. But if we're, you know, it's, it's, it's a matter of, is there a plan in place, okay? And are you manly enough to carry out that plan, right? So if my plan, if I have no plan in place, I'm just, that, that, that means your plan is to mooch off mom and dad the rest of your life. And, and that's not good. But if your plan is I'm going to finish college, you know, and then within six months after that, my goal is to, to be in a career and then purchasing a house, you know, whatever. Those are plans. Mom and dads, and if you're counseling other moms and dads, push them to do that. Push them to have a plan in place. That's good for your kids. They're going to have jobs with plans and 
deadlines, and no one's going to go, well, you know, you don't have that report done today. Don't worry about it. It's okay. I'll just go to my boss and take all the heat for your mess up. Um, you know, yeah, right, okay? So have a plan in place. Anyways, we can move forward. Men, men are independent. Men become one with their wives. This is assuming that God has called you to marriage. Um, obviously, God does not call every man uh, to marry. Singleness is a blessing. We're called to lead our wives. The term pioneer really, I think, captures the call to men to lead. As we see, again, this is referring back to last week, and you go back and read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, but... You know, man and, male and female were God's, are God's royalty, and we were created to rule the earth, to have dominion over the earth. And so we're both called to lead, but we see man in that instance being the pioneer in the relationship, being the one who takes the initiative. He's the one that named the animals. He, he's the one that God came to. He, he's the one that takes the initiative in the relationship. He is the one that works the ground and categorizes the beasts. He's the one that names woman. And names, this is, this is the man being the pioneer. But common complaints that we hear today is, I, I wish he would lead. I wish my husband would just make a decision. I wish he would be the man he ought to be. Now, ladies, don't shake your head in agreement, okay? Uh, but just, <laughs> Greg, stop. <laughs> you asked for that one. All right. So, like, this is our common complaint, right? Uh, not our, not mine. Ladies' common complaint is is what well, I just wish he would lead. I, and and I want it to be I want it to be specific here. Okay, like the call to lead isn't the call to make every decision, but men, it's the call to take the initiative, to lead out. It doesn't mean that you have to make the final decision. It does mean the buck stops with you as the leader. But what it does mean is that you have to be the one to say, hey, let's move forward in making a decision. You have to take that initiative. That, that God's called us to it. God's created us to do that. And it doesn't matter what personality you have. You can do that. Whether you have a, a bold personality or a quiet, pers- quiet passive personality, you can still say, hey, Honey, let's, let's make a decision about this. And, and I see this and, and this. What do you see? You see that and you see this. Okay. Well, what do you think about this? Like someone with a passive personality can do that. And it can be beautiful. Like God has made some men more passive and some ladies more aggressive. And, but they tend to marry each other. And that can be a beautiful situation. And I don't have time to talk about how all that we can work through. All that. We can talk through all that during Bible study this week. But... Um, like, this is not personality specific, I guess is the main point that I want to say to you. It is the way God's created us to be. The picture we have from Scripture is that this man is given a responsibility. He humbly receives a responsibility from God, and he moves forward. He takes the initiative to move forward. So, common excuses. Again, well, I don't have that personality. My wife does. Remember, we're not saying that you have to be the one that calls all the shots. That's not what being a pioneer, being, that's not what being a leader means. Do you understand that? Like both ladies and men, that's, that's not what be, being the leader of the church means. It doesn't mean I make all the decisions. It just means I make sure all the decisions get made that need to get made. And I make sure that the right ones get made, at least within my ability. It doesn't mean I make all the decisions. Matter of fact, 
I have found, like, I, I used to be very much like a controlling kind of person. You would never guess that. Uh, but, like, I have found, like, as we grow, like, there is such beauty and joy that I have in being a leader and letting, like, and let me, let me rephrase that. Being a leader and leading other people to make good decisions. Like, there, I, 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 I have, like, honestly, I have more joy in doing that than I do of making the decision myself. It's so much more fun. It's enjoy. Yes, some people fall sometimes, but that's okay. You just got to be there to pick them back up. So, ladies, if your husband is not the aggressive type, or you're more aggressive than he is, then help him lead. Like, push him to lead. Say, honey, why don't you make this decision? Why don't you help us make this decision? And then, men, stop being a pansy and just do it. Like, step up. Take the initiative. I'm trying to be nice. All right, moving forward. Fact is, God has designed us this way and called us to. It's, it's, it's social conditioning that has pushed men to just shut up and to sit there and do nothing. Because we're afraid if we speak out, someone's going to cry the feminine bell, you know, like feminist bell. Like, he, he's oppressing me. Ding, 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 ding. Stop. Like, it's our culture that has said, men, shut up. And ladies, here's the bullhorn. And, and, but we're, we're, this isn't a. God-loving relationship, right? So that's our context. So men are called to be pioneers. Men are also called to be cultivators. Men are called to be cultivators. We saw in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 that, that Adam was made to work. And he was given the task to work. You can write down this, Genesis 2, 5, 8, and 18. Chapter 2, verse 5, verse 8, 18. God made man to work in the garden. And God, here's what's interesting. God creates the garden, right? And, and, and the garden is essentially tamed, if you will. And, and then God gives man the task to, to, to have dominion over the entire earth. And so, so the idea here is for, for, for Adam to tend the garden, and then to be fruitful and multiply, then to take that tame garden and tame the rest of the world to be his garden, to be God's garden. And so that's why he says to be fruitful, to be multiply, because so you're, you're going to need lots of help to take care of this task. So, but the point, the main point here is that, that Adam's given the task to work, to be the worker, to be the one who provides. It's a call to build to explore, to cultivate the environment that God had set Adam in. And God tells him to have, again, to have lots of kids. It's going to be lots of work. And so what does this mean, though, for a man? What does this mean for us? First of all, men were created to work. What does it mean to be a cultivator? We were created to work. Now, that doesn't mean women don't work or can't work. I don't think we see that prohibited in Scripture. And of course, when I say work, I mean like providing for the family. Obviously, even if a lady does not have her a secular job, she can still have plenty to do at home, you know? It doesn't mean women don't work. It just means the distinctive characteristic of biblical masculinity is for the man to work. So the way God designed it, this is pre-fall, right? God gave that plan, that task to the man, not to the woman. 
We see this importance of this underlined in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 3.10. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Wow. This doesn't mean if a man, I hear me clearly, is temporarily out of work. Right? I know there's times of layoffs and things like that. Sometimes guys go back to school, uh, you know, get their education and find another job, pursue another career. But the idea of a man sitting around doing nothing towards nothing, working towards getting a job to provide his family, provide for his family, that's unscriptural. That's not biblical masculinity. Matter of fact, I think if, if a man is not willing to work, I, I believe, according to Scripture, that it can become a church discipline issue. If a man is not willing to work, do not let him eat. Doesn't mean that we hog time and you know don't give him food. Uh, some stout elders out back, and you know, it just. Uh, but but this is this is an issue. This is God's design. So, this is where a man will not work. First Timothy 5.8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith, and Paul says, is worse than an unbeliever. Wow! If you're a real cute male, you'll say, Well, I just manage my wife as she works. Yeah, it doesn't work either. This is the word regarding work for a minute. It's not optional. It's not optional. Now, I, I don't want to qualify myself the whole time because we'll never get through with this. But, um, you know, like there's a season in Sarah and I's life where she's the primary worker and the primary provider as far as finances while I was going to school. You know, while I was attending seminary particularly. And, and, I, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Because the goal and the plan is not for her to be the provider always. And the goal is still not for her to work four days a week. And eventually our plan is for Sarah to work maybe three days. And then eventually maybe two days work uh, a week. And, and, and her, her desire is to at least work a, a day or two a week. But we're, we're going to need her to be home to manage the house as, we are, as our family grows. We really need her there now. It's just financially we can't be there right now. And, uh, but my point is, is I think there's some exceptions. I don't think, you know, Scripture's not trying to be legal. We're not trying to be legalistic here. But it's saying that just like the general responsibility to lead falls on the man, the general responsibility to provide for his family is the man's. Men were created next to make things and then cultivate them. This is what we see in the garden. We see Adam there to, to make things and cultivate them. And it was just think about this as, as, as men. Um, like think about a man, like a guy with his car, right? Like you like to do things to it. Like any, anybody, like, any men like to work on their cars? All right, I like to work on my car just not when it's like, because it's broken, okay? I to work, like, like I put a nice truck bed cover on my truck this past week. Like that's awesome. Like that was fun and enjoyable, modifying it. Now, if you're talking about, you know, something broke and you got to, that's just not fun. Um, that's like labor, you know. And, but you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> when, when it comes to our car, we, we want to fix them up. But what about, I hear this all the time, particularly from our, from our young men in the church. Like, I want to buy a house because I, I want to, like, redo the floors. And I want to, like, do the yard. And I, 
and I want to like paint, you know, and I'm going, yeah, you will for a few months. <laughs> and then it's not fun anymore. Uh, yeah, <laughs> there's always something to do. Uh, so uh, you can come help me, those of you who don't have houses yet to work on. Uh, I'm just kidding. So, and then, but let me say another thing. You got to have money to do all that as well. It's kind of been a blessing. God has kind of rearranged some of Sarah and I's finances. And so these big dreams of remodeling the kitchen and things like that have, have been put on major hold. And so it's like I'm sitting there on a Saturday going, like, I'm ready to, like, rip up some flooring and do some tile work. You know, and some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy. But, like, I am. I'm, like, sitting there, like, anxious. And, and then I have to think to myself, uh, we don't have the money to buy the tile. Oh, well. All right. I'll go find something else to do. Some other project, you know, that maybe only costs a couple bucks that I can do, you know. That knob needs fixed. Yes, I'll go fix the knob. Uh, all right. So, why? Because God has made men to be this way. Like, this is part of who we are. We're cultivators. It doesn't mean you, men, it doesn't mean you have to love putting down tile and grouting, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But you want to take care of and cultivate the things that God's given you. Provide for those things. All right, men are also called to nurture and cultivate their marriages. Again, you know, we can look at a hundred proof texts for this, but um, as if you're a, a godly man, cultivates their marriages and their family life. As I want, men, I want to encourage you as men to to pour love, passion, nurture, and encouragement into your wife. You you will find very few things that will bring you more joy. Than, than pouring love and cultivating your wife and your children and then watching them grow. There are very few things, much more, if anything, more joy than that. Um, nurture our kids. We're also called men to nurture ourselves. The gifts that God's given us, our body, our mind, our skills, our life experiences, that God's called us to nurture and cultivate these things as men. You know, two interesting truths. First of all, the problem is if a man doesn't love God, then he will cultivate the wrong things. He will cultivate the wrong things. Spend more time, you know, maybe cultivating the house than he should cultivating his marriage. Or spend more time cultivating his work or his career than he does cultivating his marriage. The second interesting truth is that God's love is seen in the curse. I want us to see that God's love is seen in his curse in Genesis. So in Genesis 2, man is created to be a cultivator, but then in Genesis 3, man rebels against God. And so what happens is God curses the man, and then God also curses the ground underneath of the man. So at this point, everything the man is responsible will now fight against him. Thorns, thistles, like, that's what's going to happen in response to him as he works the land to provide for his family. Why did God do it this way? Why did God do it this way? First of all, because God loves the man. That's the Sunday school answer. Now let's dig into it a little bit deeper. I believe you see God's love in the curse. You see, for Adam, his, his means of working was working the ground, okay? For us, our working is... It might be working at a bank. It, it might be taking care of our house. It, 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 it's going to be a, a wide range of things that we work 
on to cultivate and provide for our family. But I want to ask you, in that situation, man, do you ever feel like, it, every, like something always goes wrong? Whether it's in your job, to your house. Like, last week, a couple weeks ago, I was itching for a project in my house, something to do. And I'm like, I got them squeaky floorboards. Man, them drive me nuts, especially right outside Chapman's room. You know, you walk by, you know, da-da-da-da-da, you know. And, and like, afraid it's going to squeak, and then the kid's going to wake up, and then if you don't have kids, like, at that point, it's like hell, okay? You don't want to wake up the baby, because, you know. Uh, and eventually we're going to have two, so I'm going, I'm going to fix these boards, okay? So I go research it and find this little, like, uh, thing that you drill down and it actually sinks the, and snaps the screw off, like, parts of the way through down, like, part of the way below the board. And then you're supposed to put wood filler on top of it. And it's just supposed to, like, be invisible, right? Uh, you can see lots of wood filler on my floor. It doesn't look good at all. I'm like, no! This is terrible. And so now, as a cultivator, i got to go back and fix those stupid putty holes. But now it's work because I don't want to do it because now I have to fix it. It was fun before. So, have you ever feel like your job just, like, works against you? Guys, I really believe that God has cursed your ground that we workmen to remind us of him. You ask, how so? How does his curse of the ground remind us of him? It's because I believe it reminds us, guys, of what we do to God. As as he's working and we're working against him, just like us working the ground. So, guys, that's why men, that's why we're supposed to work. It's to remind us of our relationship with God and how we constantly work against him. And him's cultivating us. And we're, we're like that, that screw that won't go in. And he's going, oh, I'm going to hit you harder next time, you know. And, and like, we're, we're going, sorry, I'm a little bitter. Uh, I'm about to screws. Uh, and so he, but it's to remind us. Men, so men, like when we don't work, when we're not cultivating, we're not being reminded and reminded of our relationship with God. Therefore, our sanctification suffers because we're not working, because we're not cultivating. We're supposed to be cultivators. We see his love and the curse. And for example, our son, Chapman, right now, he's going to hurt, hurt me one of these days uh, for talking about him so much in sermons, but he can't right now. So we'll use it. So he trying to teach him not to whine. Right? He, just, he just wants to whine right now. You know, I'm mom. You know, except he doesn't say, you know, ah! And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, seriously, as I was preaching through and studying this, I'm going, yeah, that's part of where I'm supposed to cultivate, is cultivate my son, was to work this. And it just reminded me, I, I do the same thing to God. I do the same thing to God. He says we do something, and I go, nah! you know, I don't want to do it. And he's going, dude, you're acting just like your son, and he's, you know, 26 years younger than you. Whatever it is, 25, whatever. He's a lot younger than you, and you whine just like him. Guys, this, man, this cultivating. There's a, guys, cultivating and our call to work is a source of sanctification. And not just because the stuff can be stubborn, but it reminds us of how we act to God. So we're created to be pioneers, created to, be, created to cultivate. We, men were also created to battle. Men were created to battle. Men are called to be warriors. So Genesis 2 God creates the man, puts the man in the garden, and then what happens? 
Satan comes and declares war on God and the woman. So first of all, men protect. Men protect. The intent. Now, this is why you got to go back to Genesis 2. I encourage you to do this this week. Genesis 2, 1, 2, and 3. Is the intent was Eve at the tree. Satan declares war. Adam protects his wife. And what does Adam do? He stands by passively like a wimp. Men are called to battle, to protect. So what happens is God curses the serpent and makes a promise to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. Genesis 3, to start at verse 14, it says, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts in the field. And your, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. And you shall bruise his heel. So the curse is between Eve and Satan. It's between the seeds. It's through her descendants that this war will be waged. And then there will one day come that person who will bruise his head. It's Christ. He will deliver the deadly blow. When Christ comes, Christ comes, he dethrones Satan. Obviously the presence of sin is still here, but the power of sin over our lives has been broken. And one day, guys, this is, uh, you read, read Revelations, you, you want to talk about a wimpy hair model? All right, one day he will come as a warrior, and victory then will be very clear whose it is. What else do men do as battle? Men carry out God's plan. We talked about searching for God's will a few weeks ago, right? What is God's will for my life? Men, God's will for you is to carry out God's plan as a part of his kingdom. That's his will. Now just figure out how that looks practically, and you're good to go. It's part of God, carrying God's plan. Genesis 128. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish, and the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over everything that, the, that moves on the earth. And later we are informed that He is working through us, though. Later we're informed that Christ, God is, that God is working through us to carry this out. But we see that Adam is given God's plan, and he carries his plan out. Obviously, he doesn't do a very good job. And same thing for us. We do the same thing. But Christ, we see as a warrior. I want to read you Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. It says, Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, there's a lot more to this text, okay, that we don't have time to dive into. But the fact is, Christ is a warrior. He's a godly man. And so, but before we move forward, just, I just want to say, we, we put soft, tender compassion up against being a warrior. And the fact is, we see them both in Christ. Okay? So I just want to say that before we move much forward. But we see them both in Christ. I want to say, how, how many of your boys like swords? Chapman's starting to like swords. Like swords, guns, right? Violence. Like... Um, 
I like teaching, I'm trying to teach him how to roar right now, like as a lion. You know, we watch Lion King, and I'm like, yeah, that's cool. No, and then, uh, like trying to roar. You know, what's cool is he'll go up to, he's got little animal magnets up on the fridge. And I go, roar, and he'll go, roar, you know. And then he'll run into the, and get on the fridge, and he'll grab the lion, and he'll bring it out to me. Uh, and then, uh, so, like, just, just a couple thoughts here for you men, okay? Um, and, and for you ladies. This is for ethical for you ladies, too. Like, our boys are wired to act like men, right? They're wired to use guns, to be violent, to use aggression. And what do we do in our culture today? Stop that. Don't do that. No, step, no, 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 no. Like, and we, I really believe we quench their masculinity from a very early age. And I think the challenge for us is to redirect that. Now, I'm not against telling your kids no. I'm not against spanking it. I don't I think we need to do those things. But if we quench some of the wrong things, we can almost snap their masculinity at a very young age. So we have to take the time. I believe that our goal with Chapman is to take the time to redirect that roar. Like I'm going to teach him to roar. But I'm not going to teach him to roar like, you know, at someone else's house at dinner time. Like that's not a good time for you to roar, son, okay? But you can do it at the house when you and dad are playing. Uh, a preacher friend of mine was talking about a similar thing. And he said that, his, he, he taught his boy to kind of square up on him, you know, like he's going to like pound him. Uh, and uh, so his little four-year-old boy, his dude, like he'll do that. He'll go to his dad and he'll just, they'll be walking and all of a sudden he'll jump out in front of him to square up and like, like he's getting ready. And like even sometimes make contact. And he's like, dude, that was so cool until he did that to some old lady at Walmart. <laughs> and he's like, that's all we need is four-year-old son kills a 80-year-old woman, <laughs> you know, so he's like, but the challenge is not to say, son, don't do that. But, hey, son, there's a proper place for you to live out your God-given masculinity. There's a place to do that. Exodus 15.3 says, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. I want to read you a quote by a guy named Mark Gazzone. He's talking about the church and why men are not there. He said, the church lost me and my male friends because it seemed too tame. We wanted to prove our manhood, and the church gave us no opportunity other than asking us to memorize Bible verses and sing tenor or bass. It offered no challenge other than wearing a coat and tie on a hot summer day. Amen. I asked for no, it asked for no sacrifice. We left the church because it seemed so soft. Because if a man doesn't know how to fight and what to fight for, he will battle against the wrong thing. So, men are created to battle. Lastly, men are created to be sages. To be sages. And you're going, what is that word? Sages. Men of, men of wisdom. Wisdom. Knowledge. This one is very foreign to our culture today. His men are called to be teachable, studious, thoughtful, and grow in intellectual virtue. Men, guys, we are called to this. But what is our culture? What's the prototype of man in our culture today? And what do we see on TV? The incompetent idiot. Yeah, Homer. 
Like we see Homer, we see Tim Allen, a home improvement, his new show, and King of Queens, family guy. You know, like, I mean, yeah. But here's this, we like to laugh at the incompetent idiot, right? Like we just, we say, I agree, I think it's funny. Uh, but, like, that's our prototype for our culture. That's what, that's what we're pushing. And, um, yeah. and some guys just embrace that. Well, I'll just be the incompetent idiot. At least I get attention. But, but instead, guys, we need to teach boys how to set aside childish thinking. I mean, we, just, we don't have that in our culture. Like our, our boys just want to be stupid. They just want to play video games all day. You only learn so much there, right? Your fingers you only do so much, right? Like, grow in intellectual knowledge. No wonder we don't want to study God's Word. You know, men don't want to learn anything. They just, anyway, I, okay, I, I don't want to, want to stick to the text, all right? So, um, set aside childish thinking. Um, you know, boys in the church, some, some of you men have never cultivated godly wisdom. Talking about cultivating ourselves, men, but to cultivate godly wisdom, that doesn't come naturally, all right? Intellectual knowledge doesn't come naturally, men. We have to cultivate that. You know, for me, um, I don't consider myself wise, very wise, but like for me, it's not about me necessarily being wise. It's about me having people around me that are wise and about me humbling myself enough to go to them and to be okay with what they say, maybe even struggle through it. Maybe we, will, we, maybe we do have to work through it, but it's just having that wisdom around you guys, that's part of cultivating. I'm cultivating the relationships of the people around me. I want wise men around me. I want wise women, but in this context, I want wise men around me. Um, guys, men, we need to see the beauty of seeing an idea taking an idea and working through it and, and the beauty of seeing it worked out, like whether it's something we're struggling with or something we don't understand, but taking the time intellectually to work through it and to come out on the finished side. But what happens often in this church, this is what I was talking about earlier, we, we, we set this battling aspect of masculinity and the intellectual and the wisdom side against each other. And we say to the men who are strong physically, we say, well, why don't you just go focus on sports? You go focus on lifting and making things. And then men who you're smart, why don't you just go focus on your meetings and reading your books? But guys, this is not one man versus another man. This is one man who's called to be both. And men as a church, we need men who are both. Both. Willing to work, willing to battle, and willing to learn, intellect, wisdom. Men are called, your next point, men are called to grow in wisdom. Of course, women are too, okay? But we're talking about men today. Men are called to grow in wisdom. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. And men, we're called to lead in this. Called to lead. God created men to receive knowledge. And I think this is so prevalent in our culture today. Oftentimes among um, like blue-collar, middle-class, hard, physical-working men, 
like factory working, it's easy for us just to grow, to go 30 years without even touching a book. It's not biblical. It's a sin, guys. We're studying God's word and growing in knowledge of him. And of course, the other side of that is for us grow up in the intellectual side of things, it's easy for us to not want to get our hands too dirty. Not to, you know, we're, the power of the mind. You know? Like, we would be willing to get our hands dirty as well. Uh, I guess I just put mine in that category. I don't know which category I'm in. Whatever. First Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Prepare your minds for action. I, I love that because that's like both worlds, right? That's like the strong world and the intellect world. And he's saying, prepare your minds for action. I love it. I mean, but, but what we see it just is the emphasis there, men, on, on our intellect. Well, I work with my hands. No, you work with your hands and you're supposed to work with your mind as well. Intellect, wisdom, growing in knowledge. All right, we got to move forward. We're never going to get done. Masculinity, not as God intended. Let's jump right to there. Masculinity is God is not intended. Some men who think, some men think they have it all figured out. Anybody ever met a man like that? He's got it all figured out. I have met many men like that. I have even been that way myself many times. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but it's the end but its end is the way to death. And we see this in Cain and Abel. Cain killing his brothers, an expression of masculinity, but it's done in a wrong way, and it results in death. Some men purposefully intimidate weak people. This is not biblical masculinity. Proverbs fourteen sixteen says, one, one who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. A man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil devises his hated. Proverbs nineteen twenty six, he who does violence to his father, uh, he who does violence to his father and chases away his mother is a son who brings shame and reproach. Proverbs twenty four one through two, do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them, for their hearts devise violence and their lips talk of trouble. 29.10, bloodthirsty men hate one who is blameless and seek the life of the upright. 28.15, like a roaring lion or a charging bear is a wicked ruler over a poor people. His guys look for weak people to intimidate. I mean, just look at the terms used. Ruthless, cruel, reckless, hot-headed, quick-tempered, crafty, violent. And 1 Corinthians 11 tells us that men are supposed to be the glory of God. These men use their strength to degrade the glory of God. Some men use their strength not to build up, but to destroy. To destroy. Again, this kind of goes with the ones before. You know, oftentimes these kind of men will only respond, respond to strong men. Uh, and, and, I mean, we need strong men in the church, but this is a very practical reason. I mean, strong men in the church who, who can go to these kind of men and say, hey, look, dude, what are you doing that for? Stop and hold them accountable. They're not going to listen to some little frail dude, you know? Like, you need strong men to say, hey, stop. But we need both. We need all of those. But 
We need men and strong men. So some men avoid leadership altogether. They avoid it. They become passive. And they just get along. This is what Adam did in the garden. He just got along. See, abusive man wants, to, wants a conquest, not for good. A passive man wants to avoid conflict at all costs. The path of least resistance. This man is always thinking shortcuts. And here's the deal. Churches often love these kind of guys. Because they don't cause problems. Instead, we need masculine leaders in the church who are willing to speak the truth in love. Even when it hurts. Even if it might be offensive. Proverbs 3.27 tells us, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in your power to do it. Man, if that isn't a charge to repent right there, I don't, I don't know what is. If you can help it, help. If you can do something, do something. Be proactive. The passive man wants to avoid hardships and struggles. Guys, this life is laced with hardships and struggles. So what happens is the passive man, like a hermit crab, just kind of goes back in his shell. He's going to peek his head out when everything looks good. And then as soon as struggle comes, he's just going to pull right back in his shell. Another way men avoid masculinity, some men do it because they're just lazy. Proverbs 12, 24 says, The hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. Men, we're called to work six days a week and rest one. Six days a week and rest one. A bunch of lazy men. We're created to work. Life is hard. And we have to work hard. Well, I just, I just need my... I just, I just want to rest. No. Look. Work. Okay? Just... just. We had a fun conversation in our men's group last week. And, and, and I told him, I said, guys, when you have a task to get done, it should just do it. Like, be a man of integrity. Do it. Like, we're called to work. Okay? Just do it. Um, Proverbs 12. Oh, I just read that one. Some men avoid masculinity by talking all the time. Proverbs 14.23 says, In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends, on, tends only to poverty. Love it. So what we see a lot in the cultural church around us is a bunch of men who just talk all the time and don't do much at all. You ever met that guy? Oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. And, and he always blah, 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 but then nothing ever happens. You meet him a year later and, oh, I'm still praying about it. Uh-huh. I bet you are. While you're praying about it, I'm going to do it. The man who talks and leads to, to slavery is what it leads to. Some avoid masculinity by eating, drinking, and passing out. I'm not going to dive on this one too much. But Proverbs 23, 20-21 says, Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. You know what we typically call that? We call us college. <laughs> All right? All right, we're going to move on from that one. Some men abandon their masculinity just to get away. 
It's like Adam who fled. Man, this is the guy who, who, get, who gives in as soon as the pressure's on. Like as soon as it looks like it's going to be a little hard. So I need to. So in marriage, and we see this all the time. Well, my marriage is getting a little rough, so I'm just going to kind of back out of it. Church is getting a little hard, so I'm just going to back out of this. As soon as stuff is difficult, they cave in. Proverbs 27a says, Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. When times get hard, we just move on. That's what a man is called to do. So, in, in finishing up here, what God wants for his church. First of all, a church full of masculine men. It's what God wants for his church. It's God's plan. God created us. Men who are pioneers, cultivators, warriors. Men who are wise. Men looking to Christ for their model. That's what God wants for his church. Men look to Christ for their model. Christ is the ultimate pioneer. He took the initiative to bring us salvation, right? From the cross. That was his initiative. That was God's initiative. God takes the initiative in the application of our salvation. Christ is the ultimate cultivator. He will finish the work that he has begun, right? Philippians 2. He will finish the cultivation project. Christ is the ultimate warrior. He has crushed Satan and will return someday on a horse to fight the final battle. Christ is the ultimate warrior. Men, we look to him as our model. Christ is the wisdom of God. Such a beautiful word picture we see in Scripture. Christ is the word of God. And this wisdom is given to the church. Christ is given to the church. And lastly, they're a church led by elders who are masculine men. And man, I just want to say this. I, I stand with you. I don't have this whole thing figured out. You know, I want God to do more through me as a man. I want to grow as a man. I do want to say this. Uh, I think you can look, it's, it's cool how, what God has done. And you compare, look at Rusty and I. Uh, and it's very interesting because our, our personalities are substantially different. Um, you know, mine is the very aggressive, roaring lion kind of, and his is a very passive. But I really believe that men, that you have something to look to there where you can say, okay, I have more Matt's personality. And so, okay, so, and... So that's how this leadership looks in my life and with my family. And then you, those of you men who have more of a passive personality can look at Rusty and uh, uh, say, how does that kind of leadership look like? What does it look like to lead with a, with a passive personality? Um, and, and I think it's, it's no coincidence that God has done that here. Uh, I think sometimes we drive each other nuts. Uh, sometimes, you know, because their personalities are just so different. But... It's really cool that we have such a relationship that, that we, we work through that. And, and I hope you guys take advantage, of course, take advantage of that. And, of course, I mean, that's, that's it's not easy, and that's, that's a lot of pressure 
on Rusty and I, but I believe it's the pressure God's put on us as leaders is to lead in a way that you can follow. Uh, so in all that, I would say just pray for us as you guys seek to follow us as we follow Christ. And um, we need, Man, we need a few last things, last few things. We need to put off fear. We need to put off fear. It doesn't matter if you're a, prone to battle or prone to think about it. We just put off fear. It's Christ who's doing this through us. Next thing, we need to look to our sisters, the ladies in the church, our wives, and ask them, how, how can we be more manly? Where can we step it up at? And ladies, you need to be encouraging and be looking for ways to encourage the men around you to be more manly, both in your marriage and in the church. Asking, how can we be men of strength? How can we be men of honor? This is absent in our culture. We don't have men of honor. There's only a show, right, or a movie. And we don't actually have men. I mean, maybe in the military, but, I mean, yes, we do in the military, but outside of that, men of honor, men of integrity, men of courage and strength. And for you singles, pray that you will learn to be men who pursue a woman, a godly woman by godly means to a godly ends. That you'll pursue God first and foremost and live out this masculinity as God has designed you to. For you husbands, I pray that you'll pour passionate effort into leading your wife, showing her, protecting her from danger, leading her into a deeper relationship with Christ. Guys, I can't tell you the joy it brings me in our marriage to see my wife grow closer to Christ. And cultivating that relationship. For you dads, if you have a son, teach him how to be a man. Teach him how to roar, how to, how to be humble, how to be strong. He needs to see honor, wisdom, and strength in you. He needs a place to demonstrate these manly characteristics. This means so much more to me today than it did two years ago. But those of you who are preparing to have kids and want to someday, man, you etch these on your mind, okay? He needs a place to demonstrate these characters, characteristics. Dads, if you have a little girl, they need to see what a real man looks like. Why do you think girls get pregnant and search for all this love in all the wrong places because they don't know what a man's supposed how a man's supposed to treat them they never saw their dads treat their moms this way and never saw their dads love them like they should so no wonder they go looking for it and going uh, you know and they end up in trouble I mean, there's other reasons too but that has so much to do with they don't know what they're looking for because you haven't modeled it for them like like guys i your, your daughter shouldn't grow up like just thirsty and dying for the love of a man. They should not leave your home or get to that age with that because they've been loved by you. Because you've shown them what a man looks like, how a man provides for his wife, and how a man loves a lady. Now, yes, they're going to have a desire to, have, to find a husband, to meet a husband, to, to get married, and that's good. You need to foster that. But she shouldn't grow up so empty of a man's love because dad's been too busy doing something else or too busy loving on something else or not showing her how a man should love. 
Your daughters need to know that daddy's going to protect them, to honor them, to treat them like a princess. They need to see sacrificial, courageous love in the home. This is our biblical mandate for us as men. The call is huge. But men, it's how God has created us to be. And then sin shattered it, and then we see it restored in Christ. And here's the deal. Uh, We're all works in progress, right? We're all works in progress, but Christ is working on this in us. It is the manly man, the one who created us, that is working this out through us. And so men, listen, listen right here. We're almost done, okay? This is not a call to resolve once again. This is not a call to make a promise to your wife and then break it three months later or three days later. This is a call to repent before God. And men, if you've not been the way you should in your marriage at home and with your kids, then you need to ask for forgiveness from your family as well. Because you've not only sinned against God, but you've sinned against them. And ask for their forgiveness. Repent. And then just beg God to work this out in you no matter what the cost. Cultivators, pioneers, called to battle, and we're called to be wise, all of us. Let's pray. Father, I... just thank you so much. Uh, Father, we're going to sing this next song. And... As the band comes forward, men, I just, I know we're past time, but we, we need, I just feel led, we need an opportunity to repent of our sins, that it, that it doesn't get, that we don't leave this room so far away from the conviction that's in our hearts currently, that we forget about it and we forget to repent. God, I just... In these moments, I just ask you to show us as men where, where our hearts are lacking, where our actions are lacking. Father, where the, our marriages need to be changed, where the way we treat our kids needs to be changed. And Father, just give us the strength and the courage to move forward. Father, the courage to love you with our whole hearts so that we can be cultivators of our lives and of our marriages so that we can be pioneers so that we can lead our kids to be the men that God's called them to be and to be the ladies that God has created them to be. Father, just... Extend your grace to us today and as we move forward. And during this time of worship, it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.